WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems. So let me get this right. It's 60 and drizzly today. Yesterday was 50 and torrential rain, and Friday was like 90 degrees in southern New England. Yep. Friday was summer, and then uh, yesterday I stepped out of the house to go to work in shorts and a t-shirt and immediately regretted my decision. But I'm a man, so I went anyways in my shorts and T-shirt. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, my my wife will say things to me like, I'm freezing out. And I'm like, you just got to put up with it. You know, that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about my uh, uh, long drive uh, coming up shortly. But with us on the phone is uh, Jason Larson. He's a sales manager for Tuffy Security Products. And, you know, so many people today, their vehicle is their office. You know, they they have everything from tools to computers to laptops to tablets, which I guess a laptop is a computer, uh, tablets to um, firearms to, you know, all kinds of stuff that they keep in their car for a variety of reasons. And you want to make, you know, you, you want to make sure those things are secure. And Tuffy Security Products has a kind of a full complement of all of those things, some specifically made for certain vehicles. Jason, good morning and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, and you know, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, your company first. Um, you know, it may not be a, a company that people have heard of before, right? Because I mean, it's one of those. I mean, at the end of the day, the product line is just a very discreet product. Obviously, we're just not trying to bring a whole heck of a lot of attention to it because the last thing you want to do is when you have a, a lockbox in your vehicle is tell people that it's there. So it doesn't necessarily help us in the marketing aspect, but it's we've definitely been around. We've been around since 1989, and uh, definitely the leader when it comes to uh, locking automotive storage. And uh, the, the ultimate goal is to make sure that when you walk away from the vehicle, nothing else walks away from the vehicle. That makes absolute sense. And, you know, one of the, one of the uh, products that you have and one of the vehicles that you market to is Jeep. And let's face it, you know, there's, you know, a Jeep Wrangler, you know, some form of a, some form of a CJ, you, you don't have uh, much less security in a, in a vehicle like that than a Jeep. Open top, not a, not a whole lot of storage that you can lock up, but you guys have answers for all of that. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, especially uh, with like a, a Jeep platform or anything like that. I mean, doors come off, top comes off, everything of that uh, nature to be able to enjoy the vehicle. And they don't really give a lot of storage to begin with. Now, the one fortunate thing about Jeep is they give us a lot of mounting locations, whether they designed it that way or not. And uh, we, we create a lot of options, whether that's um, cargo um, storage that's going to go behind the rear seats and use up all that space that is available. Uh, consoles, those are some of our most popular products, whether that's a console safe that goes inside of the factory console or even a console replacement where we actually uh, take out the existing console or in some circumstances when a vehicle doesn't actually have a console in there we have consoles that can um, install into those spaces between the seats and really make the most of the space you currently have in the vehicle and have products that integrate very nicely to what you currently have 
And you mentioned that you have some some lock boxes that can fit in existing consoles, and some of those are for things like you know Chevy pickups and Ford pickups and and, and things like that. Um, but also, you know, with a little bit of um, I guess a, a little bit of effort and a little bit of creativity, uh, maybe you have a car that has a pretty good size center console. You could probably find one of your one of your lock boxes that could probably fit in there and be able to be secured. Maybe not that perfect, almost factory look you have with a Silverado, but still someplace where you could lock your stuff up and keep it private. Exactly, exactly. We definitely strive to make as many vehicle-specific options as possible, and you're absolutely correct with a lot of the late-model trucks and SUVs. They give us the space available in order to install those vehicle-specific options that integrate very nicely, but not all vehicles on the road give us that nice incorporated space that we need in order to give you a product. Um, There's a lot of times when we want to install a product into a specific space, and once we finally make something that can fit for it, there's no storage space available. And um, that that's one of the things that we definitely have to uh, pay attention to because we want to make sure that when you do have a product, it's going to be usable. So for some vehicles, that actually means a universal product. So rather than having something that goes inside of the console or an undersea drawer that's specific underneath your driver's seat or glove box, a lot of our universal products, as you mentioned, just based on width, length, and height, are going to be able to incorporate into those spaces and giving you a nice um, uh, fit and function of a product that's going to give you that secure storage that you need. And ultimately, um, and this is kind of the, the same conversation we have with a lot of customers, is the only thing that restricts you is your own imagination. If you've got an imagination, we're going to have something available for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely makes sense. And, and the idea of, you know, you, you're going to be able to come up with something. You know, somebody wrote to me uh, about a month ago, and they and they just bought, I think it was a, a new, uh, I think it was a Kia Telluride. And they were surprised that the glove compartment didn't lock. It was like, there's no lock on the glove compartment door, which, you know, if anybody knows anything about glove compartments, the locks are not particularly robust to start off with. Um, but they said, you know, and they looked into it, and they looked at uh, a different model, and the glove compartment door with the lock on it was going to be about a $400 of maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't, plus you'd have to have the key made for it, and you might even have to have that door color match to the dash because they all came in black and and it turned out that it was going to be a lot of work and a lot of expense just to have a glove compartment locked and my suggestion was you know go to a company like yours find a lock box and even if it's even if it's something like oh i just want to secure my wallet um while i go to a sporting event or i go to the gym and i want to put my wallet my my key you know my wallet my phone tucked away somewhere you have some options and you can you can even take something like one of your options is a um uh, portable gun safe with a cable lock and you could put that under the put that under the seat cable lock it to the seat frame and all of a sudden now you have a, a secure place that you can lock your stuff away and nobody's going to be able to get to it very easily Exactly, and you took the words right out of my mouth with that. Because uh, for ninety dollars on those portable safes, that's the, the basically the, uh, the the start when it comes to those universal options. That no matter what vehicle you're driving, that's always the first great start because it is going to be able to secure uh, phone, wallet, keys, anything that you need to make sure it's not going to walk away when you walk away. 
But you also bring up a really good point as to the uh, locking glove box and that you're going to spend that $400 to try and upgrade that feature. But at the end of the day, there's still one blatant issue when it comes to those factory options. And those locks are plastic. And uh, as much as we want to be able to trust them, unfortunately, we can't. And that's why even like our line of console safes exist, because a lot of consoles do come with a factory lock on there, but unfortunately, they're not actually designed to take a beating. Um, it really only takes a flathead screwdriver to break any of those uh, locks that you're getting factory on the vehicle, and that's why we uh, actually manufacture all of our products out of steel to make sure it can take that beating. Yeah, and one of one of the ones that, uh, you know, you see a lot of people with you know, maybe job boxes mounted in the back of their vehicles, and those kind of take up a lot of room. But you have one of the ones that I'm sort of intrigued is you have this kind of midsize SUV cargo box that looks like it could fit in a small pickup or an SUV. Tuck it back there, mount it, and it looks, I don't know, it looks like it would take a torch to cut through it to open it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what, we, we definitely try to make it as difficult as we possibly can uh, for anybody uh, attempting to get in there that shouldn't be in there. So, yeah, we, we definitely make it difficult. But um, those uh, drawers, they, they're amazing because uh, they're going to give you a lot of storage space. Uh, so I will have uh, truck bed drawers that go all the way up to 8-foot beds, uh, so giving you maximum storage space. But then even for SUVs, we have our cargo drawers. Uh, our most popular is our Atlas Vault. Um, and it's just a really nice plug-and-play drawer that you can get bolted into the vehicle, and it gives you that storage space that you want, that security that you need, and then some of the accessories that we include with it really help with the functionality because with, like, the Atlas Vault, we give you a top rail, and what I mean by top rail is rather than just being the drawer and having um, the, the top with nothing to prevent anything from falling, we install a rail on top, that's also got um, a molly cutout in it, so not only does it prevent items from sliding off the top of the drawer, but then you can also tie items down to the top of it as well using that rail. Yeah, it it looks, you know, the, the stuff looks really interesting. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, how it's made. Um, it, it looks real solid. These aren't, these are, these are, I think all steel boxes um that look like they're you know really heavy gauge metal it's not like some of the ones that i've seen they're sort of kind of a lightweight tin or uh some sort of alloy these these look really rugged exactly yeah because there's um, uh, a lot of manufacturers out there that are using uh, like you said that thinner gauge of steel or metal or aluminum whatever it might be there's even uh, some uh, manufacturers that are using wood uh, for these drawers or other lock boxes out there but with Tuffy, we are 100% steel. We are making sure that we give you the most durable product possible. And that gauge of steel does vary just depending on the uh, the product itself, going from a 16-gauge and some going all the way up to an 11-gauge, just depending on what the purpose for that product is, where it's installing, and the space available. So we definitely make sure that um, no pry bar or anything else is going to be able to get into these products because those um, that steel, not only with the thickness and the durability of it, but there's a lot of uh, design aspects into it as well with hemming of the edges, our pry guard system. So it is definitely tested, proven, and going to keep people out. Yeah, that, you know, it's one thing to have 
you know, something that looks solid, but on the other hand, you really want it to be real solid. One of the other ones I really liked that I saw when I was poking around your website is the um, the Jeep rear bench seat underdraw security storage. So it doesn't look like it takes up a lot of room. It slides under the, and, and it's only for, you know, some of the older, like, YJs and, and TJs, I guess. But still, it looks really neat because you can put, maybe you're doing some off-roading and you want to keep your, you know, keep some stuff locked away in there. Uh, it doesn't take up a lot of room, but yet it looks, it looks solid and it's lockable and you can put other stuff in there, too. Exactly, exactly. And, um, yeah, and that low-profile drawer, like you said, it's going to give you just the storage that you need. But then what's also really cool about that one is um, it, it keeps that um, second-row seat in that Jeep because uh, you don't have a lot. Like we talked about, there's not a lot of space in Jeeps. And uh, not only trying to keep everything that you need but then still be able to have passengers in the vehicle, it's a difficult thing to do. And that drawer does both and it's a really cool design that uh we're really the only ones in the uh the world that have anything like it yeah uh, hey, now are you in in I, I haven't gone far enough to look yet but have you gone to the point where you're helping people with um you know one of the things that's fairly common these days is things like tailgates get stolen uh, do you have any kind of products that help secure stuff like that so not at this time. There's uh, definitely some um, uh, good manufacturers out there that we have some uh, good relationships with, uh, notably uh, Jimmy Jammer. Um, they definitely have some uh, tailgate lock protectors um, in that space, and they're doing a really bang-up job of that. So we're, we don't currently have, like, the, the tailgate lock protector as they do because they've already got that out there. Okay. We've already got a really good relationship with them. But most of our products are really going to be designed towards um, locking key with securing items inside of the vehicle. And, uh, you know, you mentioned good relationships. You also have a, a installer program now, right? That is right, yep, because uh, at the end of the day, some of these products, they are heavy. I mean, it is steel, and there is going to be some weight, and uh, not everybody is uh, willing or able to uh, actually lift some of these products into the uh, lo uh, mounting location. So we actually have a home installation uh, service available directly from our website that when you're checking out, you can add on that installation service, and then they will actually follow the tracking number, the exact exact same way you are, once it delivers, they will then schedule a time to actually come to your home and install the product in your driveway. Well, that certainly makes things a lot easier for people. Like you said, some of these big boxes are pretty heavy and it's going to require a couple people to, you know, get them up in place. And you want to, you, you want, you want to make sure you do it right. And some of them, you know, a lot of things, and I'm a classic example of this with do-it-yourself projects around the house, is boy, the next one's going to go a lot better. But a lot of times there's never a next one. So have so having the idea that somebody has installed one of these systems before uh, can make life a, a lot easier. So, uh, you know, because then they, they've done it, they know, they know the little tricks and tips, and they know maybe they have to move this or do that and know where the install is and, you know, blindly, you know, drilling holes and stuff if you're not sure what you're doing can, can be a little bit nerve-wracking. Exactly, and uh, to that point as well, they are Tuffy certified installers. They do go through a training. We actually touch base with them on a quarterly basis. We give them fresh um, uh, training material, and we go through those steps to make sure that when they show up, they know exactly what they need to do. 
Yeah, and you know, looking at the you know the the vehicles that you have stuff for Chevy and GMC and you know Ram and Ford and Jeep, obviously uh, Toyota, very popular pickup trucks. You 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 cover a lot of their line as well, right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yep, we definitely uh, look at all vehicles and uh, definitely see what all those options are available. Um, do we have it for every single vehicle on the road? No, because it is difficult to keep up with all the changes year over year. But we definitely strive to get as many options out there as possible. Yeah, I was looking. I was looking at one, and you know, it's become kind of a collector's item now. The FJ Cruiser, which um, <laughs> when it came, when it came out was kind of a kind of an oddball vehicle. People loved it or hated it, but now it's become kind of a collector's item. But you guys actually have a, a center console security safe that looks like it fits right in and looks looks like it you know almost came from the factory that way. Exactly, and uh, that is probably one of the easiest installs for any console that we'll ever have to, because it simply bolts down into that existing space, and when you look at it, you almost kind of say, wow, that should have been there from the factory. So it's uh, it's, uh, um, amazing how uh, much of a following is behind that vehicle, because even after all of these years, we still have a lot of demand for those uh, FJ Cruiser um, consoles, as well as those cargo drawers that we have in the rear as well. They just do not disappear. And you guys also kind of thought it through enough, and you look at space that maybe people don't think of. You guys have uh, overhead consoles for a lot of vehicles too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have overhead consoles, um, uh, like on the, the Jeeps and um, Scouts and others that um, can uh, actually uh, install above the windshield and to the roll bar and giving you some storage up high. But then also, for another example of kind of the, some of the hidden discrete areas, like on the newer Ram trucks, in the uh, crew cabs in the rear of the vehicle, they have what is called the Ram bin in the floor. And we even create locking storage for those ram bins in the floor that a lot of owners don't even know that they have that in the vehicle. Uh, that's you know it's kind of funny you said that. I I had a uh, small SUV and I think I owned it for months. And uh, one day I was vacuuming and I'm like, oh look, there's a slide out drawer under the passenger seat. You know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it wasn't it wasn't particularly useful other than. You could certainly have put some sort of a locking box under there, made it easy to slide it out and be able to get to it. But it's kind of funny unless, you know, somebody shows it, shows it to you. And it was, it was even, it was one of those things that was barely even mentioned in the owner's manual, which I thought was kind of funny. But uh, you're right. There, there is, there are, how, how did you put it? Your, your creativity is only limited by your imagination or something like that? How do you, what did you say? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And now when we look at vehicles, we, we are eyes wide open, and uh, we, we are tearing them apart to find all of those uh, uh, spaces and nooks and crannies that are available to us. So we definitely challenge our uh, engineers to uh, use their imagination. So sometimes that's probably a little bit more difficult than it needs to be, but we definitely help uh, coax them along. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of, one of the things that has there there are some i mean locking boxes are one thing um which are perfectly legal to have in your car just like a locking glove compartment but in some areas i guess having really truly hidden storage can violate some state laws right well it just all depends on those state laws and uh, most of the time it really just comes down to 
not only the contents inside, but how those contents are uh, secured inside of the uh, the product itself. So we actually see a lot of uh, um, uh, law enforcement and government agents using our products because our products are compliant for any of the laws that are out there. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to the contents inside of the product itself because there are some states where, for example, let's talk about a firearm because that's usually the, uh, the most uh, prominent where there's a lot of laws around it. And a lot of states, the mag- magazine and ammunition must be stored and secured separate from the firearm itself. So that's when it would become illegal is if you had both firearm and magazine with the ammunition stored in the same product um, or the same safe. That's where the illegal part comes in, and that's all mandated by state law itself. But simply by removing that magazine and ammunition and securing it in another location in the vehicle then you're legal and compliant. There you go. Speaking of law enforcement, um, do you have products specific for law enforcement? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely do. And uh, they they, um, definitely have a different set of needs and wants and desires with it. And then uh, uh, just some other things that are entailed with that. But not only are they using the existing products that you see on the website right now, they also have uh, some custom products that they do as well. We've also, we've done some really cool custom um, uh, setups for like even uh, drones and uh, where they actually have a multi-thousand dollar uh, drone setups that they need to be able to transport with them at any time and we will do applications where they not only can secure the drone but all the features and everything that they need to operate that drone so everything you see on the website they're using but then there's also things that we go above and beyond on yeah one of the things that i've seen in the past is you know sometimes i'll see things like uh you know a, a really good looking you know locking mech you know lock box of some sort and what comes down to a pretty crappy lock afterwards but you guys you guys put as much emphasis in the lock as you do in the box right Absolutely, and uh, first and foremost, our lock, it is proprietary. This isn't something that's just off the shelf. It is something that we have uh, designed, spec, and uh, make sure that we are the only ones to have access to it. And so there's a lot that goes into the engineering and the design of the lock, but then also our ProprietGuard system. And uh, what that simply is, is it's a, um, uh, a lock and latch system that ensures that when somebody tries to pry into it, it's going to grab and hold. The quickest and most easiest way to actually defeat a product is to try and pull the cam arm out from the latch brackets. So our design helps prevent that because if you go and you look at a lot of the, um, I'm going to call them kind of knockoffs on Amazon or anything like that, start paying attention to the lock and start paying attention to the cam arm, and you're going to notice those cam arms are rounded. And when you see that, there's nothing that actually prevents that from being released from the latch bracket. So there's a lot of thought and uh, time put into the design to make sure that nobody can actually pull those cam arms out from the latch brackets themselves. Yeah, I guess if you want to get truly paranoid, go on YouTube and watch The Lockpicking Lawyer. And you'll think that there's no, there's never anything that's ever going to be safe, you know. So, uh, but the idea that you 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 put this you know you put this system in place, whatever it is, whether it's a portable lockbox with a cable lock, whether it's something that's mounted to the vehicle, the idea is that it it 
factors in that delay of someone that, you know, maybe they were going to try to steal something out of your car, whether it's a, you know, whether you run your whole life on a tablet and you want to make sure it's locked away because it has everything, your whole life is involved in it. And it's going to just, it's going to add to the time of somebody trying to get to it. And maybe they're just going to look and they're going to go, you know what, this is more, this is more work than it's worth. And, you know, I'm likely to get caught doing bad things. So, um, you know, it, it's those kind of things that I think really, really help a lot. Exactly. And you know what? I'm going to share uh, an example of that. And uh, this is about four years ago, but a gentleman parked at Miami International Airport. He was only parked there for four or five days, but he had a Jeep Wrangler and he had one of our glove boxes installed. And uh, he left. All was normal. He came back. Vehicle was broken into. They took everything they can get their hands on. But then they were trying to get into the glove box, and there's no idea how long they had to work on this Jeep because uh, it was in the airport parking lot. Obviously, nobody's watching it. Maybe there were some cameras, but he's gone. So they weren't in a rush to get out of there, so they had time on their hand to be able to try and get into this. Ultimately, what ended up happening is they pried and pried and pried. They caved in the dash but the glove box did not release, they could not get into it, and they walked away. So it's a great example of what these products can do. Yeah, it really it really is. And if people want more information on the products, they want more information about uh, security in general and what vehicles match what, and, you know, uh, even, you know, you, you even have this community page where you can share some other ideas. Pretty simple. It's just toughyproducts.com, right? That is correct. Yep, that's our website. You go take a look on that. And, uh, um, again, that is T-U-F-F-Y, uh, so tuffyproducts.com. Sounds sounds great. Hey, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your Sunday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Bye-bye now. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Uh, we need to take a break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. If you would like to join us. Give us a call at 781-837-4900, and we'll talk to you about, oh, maybe you saw me on TV and you want to laugh about it. You can do that, too. 781-837-4900. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Our phone number is 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900 is how you get through and talk to us about your car and car problems. Well, kind of uh, weird weird things happened to me this week, I guess. Um you know, there's. It's no secret that you know, for the last, I don't know, six, seven months, I guess, I've been living in Florida in my little tin shack in Florida that got beat up by the hurricane. Uh, you know, it's uh, pretty much ninety nine percent back together. Um, my wife and I are having a little disagreement on um, the ceiling of part of the living room where um, 
she wants to paint it white. I actually did kind of naughty pine shiplap or tongue and groove board. So I kind of want to do whitewash. She wants to do regular white. Other people have suggested just polyurethane it with a satin-based polyurethane. Might make it look nice and bright. Um, we haven't decided yet, so... That will be a discussion for next season when we come back, hopefully. Uh, hurricane season is spares us this year. Like, you know, people said the storm was one, one in 100 years. I hope so. Uh, I hope the next one in 100 year one doesn't start this year. And they'll go, oh, now you're good for another 100 years. Um, but, you know, it was time to put some things away. And we keep our 2015 Volkswagen Beetle down here. And it's a convertible, and uh, it's been down here for three years, I think. Uh, this year, it suffered a little bit because there was about eight inches of water um, just on the ground in here, around here. Uh, the street had anywhere from, you know, once the drains couldn't drain anymore, it had anywhere from you know, four to eight inches of water, depending where it was. So I don't know how much water there was kind of under the car. So I took it to a local AAA-approved auto repair shop and wanted to have an oil change done. And one of the reasons I went there was um, the Volkswagen has this big belly pan. It's held in place with triple-square uh, bolts, which, are, which are, I don't have a triple-square uh, driver here. Uh, so, and besides, it's low to the ground, and I'd have to go get ramps and a lot more work. So, took it to the local AAA approved auto repair shop around the corner from here, um, and I asked if I could wait, and they said sure, uh, you know. And uh, while they were looking at it, I asked that I could, you know, get under it and look and just see how it's doing because I haven't really been under it. I wanted to see if um, any you know, any rust issues, corrosion or wiring, you know, boots that are bad, anything. And everything looked pretty good and not a lot of surface rust. And in fact, even the uh, the technician who was doing the oil change said to me, uh, it looks pretty good for a car that spent, you know, five years up, you know, in Massachusetts. And I said, yeah, it's doing pretty good. And part of it was and about, I guess, just before we brought it down here, um, I've talked about that undercoating stuff called wax oil. And um, I didn't do a ton of it, but I had it up on a lift. I borrowed a lift from somebody, and I had it up on a lift, and I undercoated as much steel as I could. And it really looks pretty good under there. I, I was surprised. The wax oil is holding up really well. You can tell the areas that I missed because they are a little bit rusty. But other than that, everything looks looks pretty good. But while I was in there, they, they did a, a safety inspection. So they looked at the brakes and tires and belts and hoses and all that stuff. And I said to him, oh, um, do you charge extra to check the battery? And he says, no, no, I checked the battery while it was here. We have a... You know, we used our battery tester, and he said, you know, your battery should be like 550 cold cranking amps. It's getting a little iffy. It's down around 400. You know, probably something you're going to have to think about, you know, at some point in the near future. And I said, yeah, it probably is. Um, literally the next day I went to start the car, and the battery was almost dead. It wasn't completely dead, but it was almost dead. And uh, I was sort of like, hmm. Now... There's a second issue, too, and one of them is 
that the ignition switch in this car is going to need to be replaced at some point because when you take the key out of the ignition and this is an ignition switch that historically has had a problem because Volkswagen has warranted it for 10 years now um, that the ignition can be either hard to turn or you can't get the key out or you can't get it to shut off or whatever the case is but also the key in ignition warning where you put the key in and take the key out sometimes it thinks the key is still in the ignition so did I take the key out close the door and did the little beep 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 thing still keep beeping maybe I don't think so I think it's just a case of this battery it's a 2015 car and people who've listened to me for a long time know that the average life of a battery is in the Northeast is somewhere between three and five years. And the average life of a battery in hot weather states is closer to two or three years. And even the uh, the guy over at the uh, AAA shop I went to, he's like, wow, this is the original battery. You've done pretty good. He said, how long has the car been in Florida? And I'm like, I think three years. And he goes, oh, you know, we barely get three years out of a battery here in Florida because of the heat. So heat is the enemy of car batteries, and some of it I attribute to the fact that Volkswagen put this sort of blanket around the battery. And the other thing is that when the car sits, I leave it on a battery tender. So um, there's a variety of different kinds. Uh, the one I have down here is, um, is, is battery tender. It's a brand that's been around for a while. A long while and a lot of people use them uh, and that's and I like the battery tender junior which is the one I use on this car because it literally fits under um, one of those see-through in-use covers that you have on outside outlets so I can just put it under there close the in-use cover it's got enough holes in it where it ventilates it but um, and then I, it has a long cable so I just plug it into the car and it's good to go so it keeps the battery charged up. So I think that has helped with the longevity of the battery. So then, you know, I had two choices or three choices or four choices. Well, I could replace the battery now. I could replace the battery when I come back. So, you know, that was one of my things I had to think about. And I'm like, you know what? Even though I just advised someone... Um, who had a very similar thing. They keep a car parked somewhere, I think it was up in Maine, and they said, you know, the battery is dead. Do I replace the battery now, or do I replace the battery when I come back? And I think in that case, I actually said replace the battery when they come back. But in this case with me, I said, you know what, rather than have to deal with it when I come back, I think I'll replace it now. And even though I know it's going to sit in Florida heat in the summertime, it's probably going to shorten the battery life somewhat because it's not in a garage. It's in a carport, which blew away in the storm, but I built another one. Um, so it's going to get a little bit of shade at least anyway, and maybe that will help. Um, so I went to you know, my multiple choices. Call AAA, have AAA come out and install a battery. Okay, that's one option. The second option is go to right near me. There's an advanced auto parts store and an O'Reilly's auto parts store. Or go to the local Walmart. So where did I go? Local Walmart. Cheaper. 
Um, although I did buy the top-of-the-line battery that was there. So again, something I might not always take my own advice on. I replaced it with an AGM battery. What was in there was a conventional lead-acid battery. I replaced it with an AGM battery uh, for two reasons. One, it was the only one they had in stock. Cost a couple bucks more than the conventional lead-acid. Normally, I like to replace lead-acid with lead-acid and AGM with AGM. Um, but interesting that my Hyundai has an AGM battery in it, and I have no idea why. I don't know why they put that in from the factory unless because it doesn't have start-stop technology, which is usually the case with AGM batteries. So I put the uh, put the battery in, and I have never replaced a battery in a Volkswagen, in a late-model Volkswagen before. So I put the battery in, started up, every light on the dash is on. I'm like, well, this isn't good. And my concern was, and what I wasn't able to do, was I wasn't able to keep... Uh, the memory of the battery of the car. And normally what I tell people to do is, uh, and for a lot of reasons, you so you don't have to reset the radio and the clock and memory functions with people with fancier cars with memory seats and all that sort of stuff. Um, you use a memory saver of some sort. You know, back in the olden days, uh, it was a 12-volt battery. It was a 9-volt battery that plugged into the cigarette lighter. And back then, cigarette lighters were powered up all the time. You plug it in, as long as you didn't open and close any doors, it would hold the memory of the vehicle so you didn't lose things like computer codes if you disconnected the battery, things like that. Since then, they've come up with different methods to do this. One of them plugged into the ALDL connector, the under-dash connector. Some of those work, some of them don't. At AAA, what we, what we tell our battery technicians to do, take your jump start unit and hook it up to the battery cable, so hook it up to the positive cable, find a good negative, usually a negative jump start post, connect it up to that, wrap that cable in a way that it's not going to short to anything, take it off, now all of a sudden the jump start box is powering up the car so you don't lose any memory. Well, I didn't have the ability to do that. A, I didn't have jumper cables. I do have um, lithium-ion jump start boxes, and they work pretty good, but not all of them have a procedure to turn them on so they're on all the time. So my big concern was the radio, and I know in late model Volkswagens, the radio memory is preset from the factory, so the only way the radio would fail to work is if I took the radio out of this car and put it in another Volkswagen, it would come up that the radio needed to be recoded on Later model Volkswagens, I think starting even way back in 2009, uh, if you disconnect the battery, the radio station stay put, no memory problems, nothing like that. But in the older Volkswagens um, and a lot of older uh, German cars, you you disconnected the battery. It's going to ask you for a radio code. You you had to make sure you saved that little card that came with the car, and you used the the preset buttons to put the code back in. So I put it. So I wasn't too concerned. Started up the car. Traction control light was on, steering control light was on, tire pressure monitor light was on. Might have been a fourth one that was on. So I'm like, hmm. So I took my jump to conclusions. I took my scan tool out. And do I have a scan tool here in Florida? Yes, I do. Took my scan tool out, plugged it in. Didn't really find a whole lot. So I'm like, hmm, shut it off, start it back up, light's still on, 
Then I recalled my own advice. Drive the car for about three minutes. Started up, put it in gear, literally drove 100 yards. All the lights went out. Everything's been fine since. The only one thing I had to redo was I had to reset the auto up and down for the windows um, because that kind of goes away, and that's simple enough. Push the button down, hold it, push it up, hold it, and they automatically reset. So simple and easy to do. So uh, so that was that was one of the interesting little challenges that I had before putting things away. The other one was um, last year I bought a small boat, little small boat, nothing fancy at all. But um, last year I changed the oil on the motor because it, it, although it doesn't require an oil change for 100 hours, uh, the dealer recommended oil changes at 30 hours. Uh, Mercury, which is the engine, recommends at 100. I had about 50 hours on it last year because I got it late in the season, and I changed the oil. But I did not change the lower unit oil, which is where the, which is where the gear case is for the propeller. And this year I decided, even though with the storm and repairs, renovations we did, and plus there was a big red tide issue down here, and it was pretty, there was some pretty windy spells, I, I don't think I put another 30 hours on the engine while it was here. But I decided, because I like to put, a th- I like to put things away with fresh oil, I decided I would change the oil in the engine, and it was now where there's 50 50 plus 30, 35, 85 hours on the lower unit oil. I decided it's probably a good time to change it. So uh, a weird procedure. It's like changing transmission fluid in a Toyota. It has a drain plug and a fill plug, but you drain it through the bottom drain and fill it through the bottom drain. So you take the plug out of the bottom, take the vent plug. It has two different vents on the top. You um, take the plugs out of the top, the vent plug and the other one out. Um, You drain the oil, and then you use a little pump, and you pump in very similar to how you fill a Toyota transmission. You pump it in through the bottom till it comes out through the top, which to me sounds like the dumbest idea ever, but so so you go and you buy a quart of special gear oil, which is probably just gear oil, and you buy this little $10 pump that screws into the bottom. You pump it until the oil comes out the top. So you pump it, it comes out the vent, you put that in, pump it a little bit more, comes out the other hole, and then you hastily try to take the pump line off and put the little cap back in. So I did that. So fresh oil, fresh gear case oil, so it's good, it's good to go for, for next season. But why I brought this up was I got an email this morning. Somebody had a problem with a, um, they, they said, I have two very different problems I hope you can help me with. One was they have a problem where when they start their car, the four-way emergency flashers keep flashing. They hear clicking. And the way they remedy that, and the car has a remote start in it, the way they remedy that is they turn their headlights on and then start the car with the emergency flashers shut off. They're like, what do you think's wrong? And I said, probably a bad ground for the relay for the emergency for the self for the aftermarket remote starter. Uh, what's pr- when you hit the remote start button? It usually in a lot of cars either flashes the uh, four-way flashers until you get out and turn the key and start the car, or at least it does it once. In a lot of cases, some of these remote start systems will flash the four-way flashers continually, so you know the car's running. 
kind of makes a little bit of sense. The second question was, they have an outboard motor. They're changing the lower gear case oil. I'm like, well, I just did that. I said, and the problem is they couldn't get the lower drain plug out because they um, they tried sticking a screwdriver in there, twisting. All they did was make a mess out of it. They took a uh, they took some uh, uh, propane torch, actually map gas, which you can't get regular map gas anymore. It used to be map gas was sort of a a settling gas product, I guess. I don't remember what MAP actually stands for. Now they call it ProMAP or MAP Pro or something, which is a combination of the original MAP gas and propane. So it doesn't heat as hot as it used to. Uh, it used to be you could actually braze with it. You can't anymore. Um, but the uh, they said they were heating it with MAP gas and still couldn't get the drain plug out. What did they do? The season is upon them. So anybody who's ever worked on a motorcycle before and has anything to do with aluminum, the best tool in the world is an impact driver, but you don't get crazy. An impact driver is a thing that's about six inches long, has a variety of different um, screwdriver blades or a three-eighths drive uh, socket adapter, and you find the right size screwdriver blade that's going to fit snugly in the, um, the screw slot, and tap it with a hammer. You don't get crazy. You don't go smashing into it. But you tap it with a hammer, hold on to it. And between the impact blows and the idea that you're driving the tip deeper into the screwdriver slot, you should be able to do it. You know, if you don't have that, I recommend you go buy one for 20 bucks. They're pretty inexpensive. Um, unless you go buy the snap-on one, which is, I think I have two. I think I have the snap-on one which I think was probably 50 or $60. And then I have like the, I don't know, one I bought from a some cheap tool company. Do they work the same? Probably. Um, the Snap-on one just looks nicer. Um, but, um, you know, go buy one for 20 bucks. You'll probably use it again for something. Um, and that should do it. If you don't have one, maybe you can take a punch catch maybe the corner of the screwdriver slot and gently again i use the word gently tap on the plug and maybe you can get it to turn um it's about the best you can do well we were talking somebody emailed me and said they have a problem with the 2010 uh honda and they said it's fouling over the time that their daughter has had this car. It's fouled spark plugs four times. Is this a known issue with the vehicle? Back in 2010, maybe as late as 2012, um, some Honda Accords did foul spark plugs. And the fix was first a software fix that generally didn't work. What it usually was was a, a bad set of rings. Now this is 12, 13 years later. Could it still be the problem with rings? Sure, it could. Um, but 13 years later, it probably makes no sense to do an engine overhaul. Honda's not going to do anything about it. Maybe just the thing is, um, you know, maybe look for a hotter, hotter spark plug that may solve the problem. That may do a little bit better with um, the, a higher heat range, and that may that may remedy the issue and be able to get the plugs to last a little bit longer and not hopefully not follow the plugs so you could certainly try that and see what happens and see if that does the job um somebody else wrote to me uh just yesterday they have a 
Um, they have a Hyundai Sonata, a 2018 Hyundai Sonata, and they said that um, the car wouldn't start. And they kind of had they kind of had a weird um, weird email the way they asked it. Um, the the email I want to try to find it because I answered it this morning. Um, the person said, uh, seven months of major Hyundai car problems in my driveway. Um, if I, I uh, they said they have, um, they say, I think they found the problem before, however, I need an expert's opinion before I actually take it to the car somewhere and look like a fuel would get overcharged because something is small and ridiculous. Car was fine, driving with no issues until one day on the way home from work, less than three miles from home, about three to five minutes away, the interior lights on the dashboard and stereo went a bit dimmer. We got home, car wouldn't start, but the lights still go on and so it's not the battery or alternator it probably is the battery or alternator hate to say it probably the alternator uh, my non-expert opinion is the key fob battery finally died and needs to be changed because approximately two weeks prior to this both keys were showing low battery which is kind of interesting because i don't know about you but you know i have two key fobs for my car one's on my wife's key ring one's on my key ring um you know, I typically drive my car more than she drives my car, so it's odd that both keys would have dead key fob batteries. Just sort of odd. Um, but, um, you know, so she also said uh, there's nothing else other than the check engine light. We had checked. The code was something to do with the vehicle's intake, which actually happened to be one of the many recalls of the 2018 white Hyundai Sonata. Um, I specifically had white because 20. 17 and 18 uh, have a paint defect that apparently has not been given a recall yet. Mm, they don't actually have a recall cars for bad paint. Um, so in your expert opinion with no other issues, do you agree with the battery and the key fob possibly being the problem? Please contact back at earliest convenience. Um, probably not the key fob. You can, you can throw the key fob away and drive the car and the lights aren't going to come on once the car is started. So not that. Uh, probably a bad alternator. Could be a bad battery. Could be a combination of both. After all, it's, you know, get a little bit of age on it. Be surprised, but it's certainly possible. Um, the um, I, Certainly if both fobs are showing low battery, go replace it. Um, they're, I think they're CR2023 or CR302. Two, three, something like that, because uh, a couple of weeks ago I was driving a uh, Genesis, the premium brand of Hyundai, and the key fob battery actually was dead, um, and I and it had a push button start. So you, with most cars with push button start, if the key fob battery is dead, you hold the key fob up against the button. There's usually just enough kind of sig signal strength left in the key fob where it will start the car. Um, oddly, in my little box of batteries, I had one of these little wafer batteries because they fit in a variety of different things and i popped it in the remote remote worked perfectly afterwards simple took three minutes to take the key fob apart put the new battery in and fix it so both of them are showing up low battery put a new one in um i think the last two batteries batteries i bought came in a little kit for uh, a little package two of them for like 
three bucks at Walmart, so go replace them. But I really think you have a bad alternator or battery or both at this point. So call AAA. If you're a AAA member, have them come out, test the battery, test the alternator, and I think you'll find that you probably have an alternator problem too. Uh, but at least you'll get the battery tested and see where it is. Uh, we need to take another break, I think, don't we, Jesse? We do. We do. Why don't we do that? My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD, the South Shores radio station. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Welcome back to the Car Doctor Program, and uh, you're listening on 95.9 WATD. And I was—it uh, was kind of funny. I was looking at uh, looking at my answer to the woman that had the key fob things, um, and decided I actually didn't give her quite enough answer. I, as I talked it through, um, uh, I think she needs to really uh, test out that uh, that alternator as well and see what's going on with that. Um, so, you know, and, and again, sometimes, you know, the best testing tools we use, we use one at AAA. It's really good. But there's some other ones. Uh, don't rely strictly on a battery voltmeter. That is the one tool I guess I don't, you know, it's like, you know, what tools do I have in which which place? I do have a battery tester at the cottage. Uh, not sure why exactly, but I have one there. Um, and I gave one, it, it kind of, I guess, kills me a little bit i gave i gave two away i gave um i gave both of them away to social votech um i had one that was uh made by midtronics that hooked up to a scanner uh that worked that worked really well and i said what am i ever going to use this for and i gave it away probably should have kept it and brought it here and the other one was an old time resistance style one which we kind of jokingly referred to as a toaster because it had this uh, coil that would get really hot and glow red, but it would test the battery, so you know how it is. You know, a voltmeter will give you an idea what battery voltage is. won't give you that great an idea. You know, a fully charged battery is somewhere like 12.6 volts. Um, one that's only 12 volts could be have like a 60% uh, charge rate. So it'll give you a little bit of a hint about what's going on. It was kind of funny. I tested the battery voltage because it's the only tool I had here, uh, voltmeter. And in the Volkswagen, and, and although the battery did barely start the car, it did start it. And um, I checked it when I got home, and I looked at the battery, and it's like oh, 10.6 volts. And I'm like, oof, that battery's just all worn out, so time to replace it. One more question before we get going here. Uh, somebody wrote to me, and kind of a, kind of a, uh, let's see, they said um, they... Had they went to a car dealership? Um, how they put it. I have a 2018 uh, Honda CRV. I brought it to the Honda dealership in Rochester, New York, to be serviced, which included transmission fluid replacement and oil change. 
don't know why you would do a transmission fluid replacement that early. Can't hurt, but I don't think it's necessary. After the car was serviced, I drove it to Rhode Island and noticed something was leaking on my driveway. Went to a local dealership. Uh, New York dealership paid, and they found the drain plug was loose and leaking transmission fluid. They test drove the car to verify the transmission health after they replaced the transmission fluid. I don't know how much fluid leaked out after driving for 10 hours. Wow, that's a long drive. My concern is the transmission may have been damaged by not having enough fluid in it. Is that possible? Well, it certainly is possible, but chances are if the drain plug was just loose, it was dripping, you know, is it dripping a drop or two every minute you know maybe it's down a quart maybe it's down you know it would have been nice if they measured how much fluid came out of it which no one ever does but uh, just to make sure um, certainly low fluid can cause the transmission overheat and certainly shorten its life but typically you'll notice when if the fluid is low it's not going to shift right Um, and uh, you may even get a check engine light if the transmission fluid gets hot enough so at this point I think don't be too concerned about it. The good news is you have full documentation. So if, you know, a year from now, two years from now, the transmission fails, you know, it failed because you guys screwed it up. So there you go. Hey, we need to go. That music means we are out of time. I am taking the long drive home this week, so I will be back in Massachusetts next week. But until then, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. And if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.